Why are there only 66 books in the Bible? Why isn't the Apocrypha or other sacred books included in the Bible? Let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk. I'm Paul Robinson. This is a podcast dealing with just uh, certain issues uh, that, you know, Christians might not quite be too sure about, you know, Uh, just different things. And believe me, there's a lot. (laughs) There's all kinds of things. And uh, I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, This episode I've entitled 66 Books, One Bible has to do with the canon of scripture. So, the question is, why are there, you know, there's only 66 books in the Bible. I say only. That's quite a few, isn't it? A library of 66 books and no more. Uh, why is it those 66 specifically? Why aren't there any more? Uh, what about other books? We're going to talk about a few other books today that have, you know, some people say, oh, this should be in the Bible. But uh, we'll find out why it shouldn't. All right. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it is breathed out. It's God-breathed. It comes from God directly. Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Alright, so you see, the human writers did not make up scripture. You know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter weren't like, hmm, what should, I, what should I say of Scripture today? That's not how it worked. No, they wrote it down as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Second Peter one twenty one talks about that. Moved by the Holy Ghost means that they were born along. They were carried along. You see, the, the Holy Spirit worked in them to, to give them really the words to say, and, and they were able to write in their own, with their own style and personality. But uh, it, it is the words of God that are inspired, the original words are what is inspired. All right? And so it, it it was not it was not the people, the writers, they were not inspired. No, it is the words that were inspired by God. Okay? And so uh we have God himself and, and we had to understand something. God himself determined which books would be in the Bible. The people of God simply discovered these books and agreed, yes, these are scripture. Believers did not bestow authority on them. God did. God is the one. It is the word of God, not the word of man, not the word of the church. It is the word of God because God says this is scripture. And it's the people of God that recognize it and say, yes, we agree. This is scripture. Now, when we talk about the canon of scripture, I I think I've already used that word a couple times. You might be thinking, what what is canon? You know, Uh, well, I'm not talking about the long thing. You stick a cannonball in and shoot it, you know. The word canon, actually, it, it means measuring rod, all right? So each book was measured to see if it lined up with that criteria for Scripture, and we're going to get to that, to that criteria in just a moment. So the canon of Scripture, the canon is the measuring rod, all right? And we talk about the canon. What we're talking about, when, when I say the canon of Scripture, I'm referring to the books of the Bible. The 66 books of the Bible, that's the canon. Those 66 books are the canon, all right? 
Now, let me give you a quick timeline here, and uh, this is concerning the New Testament. Keep in mind that by the time we get to the New Testament, the Old Testament canon is completed. I'm talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament. Remember Jesus and the disciples and all those people, you know, the Pharisees, they had those 39 books, and those were their sacred scriptures, okay? So there's no doubt about that. Now, talking about the canon of the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, let me give you a quick timeline here. The letters were composed A.D. 50 through A.D. 100. Okay, that's when the letters were composed. In other words, that's when the, the human writers sat down and wrote that scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's when they wrote the letters. Okay, and then the letters were circulated same time, A.D. 50 through A.D. 100. Those I'm talking about the original letters, what's called the autographs. The autographs were circulated. They were passed around. Now, who circulated them? It was the churches. The churches circulated. Okay, so they'd send it. Hey, send it to this church. Send it to the Ephesus church. Send it to the church at Rome, 1 Corinthians. You know, send it to the Corinthian church. Send it to the Laodicean church. You know, the churches circulated it. And then next, letters were collected, and now this is A.D. 100 to 200 A.D. Okay, the letters were collected. Uh, in other words, um, the churches were recognizing, hey, this is scripture. I mean, this is written from the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or James. And so they started collecting the letters, recognizing that this is scripture and we need to keep this and treasure this. All right, that was happening, 100 to 200. And then next, the letters were compared, AD 200 to 300. So now they're, they've been collecting the letters, and they start comparing them and saying, hey, let's make sure we get this right. Let's make sure, we, we, let's make sure that these letters are accurate. Uh, let's make sure they're right. Uh, let's make sure there's no heresy in them, you know? And so they start comparing the letters and... Um, and then finally, the canon is completed, AD 300 to 400. And I'm actually, I'm going to mention that a little bit later. But between that time, the canon is finalized, it's completed, and the church agrees, yes, this is the complete New Testament canon. These 26 books, uh, 27, sorry, did I say 26? 27 books. 27 books. These are scripture. All right? All right, so just, just keep that in mind, that timeline there. Next, let's talk about the criteria for determining Scripture. What was the criteria? Well, there are five things. Five things. Number one, was it written by a prophet, apostle, or someone closely associated with a prophet or apostle? Okay, so for the Old Testament, it needed to be written by a prophet. And of course, a prophet is one who was called by God to give his word to his people. That's a prophet. Um, prophets include Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Micah, and there's many more. You know, all the major prophets, all the minor prophets. Um, Daniel was called a prophet. And, and by the way, I said Moses, and you might be saying Moses was a prophet. Yes, Moses was a prophet. Moses gave prophecy. Um, and he's called a prophet. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, other Old Testament authors included David, Solomon, possibly Ezra, and Mordecai. Okay? Uh, Mordecai, of course, is believed to have written the book of Esther. 
Uh, Ezra, of course, probably wrote Ezra Nehemiah. Um, and, and it's interesting because these, these guys were not prophets. They were not prophets, but guess what? These were people that God spoke to. These were people who had a close relationship with God. And, and of course, Ezra was a priest. You know, sure, he wasn't a prophet. He was a priest, <laughs> a priest of the, 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 the Most High God. So these are people who penned the Old Testament scriptures. All right, now the New Testament, you have the apostles. Now, an apostle is one who, who personally knew the resurrected Christ. Okay, so that that that's who the apostle, you know, so you hear people today say, I'm an apostle, and there's no such thing as an apostle anymore, folks. You, you can't, nobody today can claim they're an apostle, all right? Now, apostolic authors include Matthew, John, Peter, and Paul, all right? And then we have Luke. Now, Luke was closely associated with the apostle Paul. We also have Mark. Mark was closely associated with Peter. James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus. So I want you to realize that even if the New Testament author was not an apostle, he was someone who was closely associated with an apostle. And that's very important. Because that means not just any Joe Schmo off the street can write scripture, you know. Uh, oh, we have scripture here from uh, uh, Bob, you know, and, and he was living during the New Testament age and he wrote scripture. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. So that's the first criteria. Was it written by a prophet, apostle, or someone closely, closely associated with them? All right. Number two, was it confirmed by acts of God? Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says this, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. All right. So that verse right there tells us that God spoke in times past, which is, you know, the Old Testament. He spoke to the prophets. But then I want you to listen to this, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. All right? You know what? God always confirms his word. He confirms his word. The New Testament confirms the Old Testament in that the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament. Okay, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. Uh, the, the apostles, they quote the Old Testament. So it confirms that. And then the book of Acts confirms the Gospels because the book of Acts makes reference to the Gospels and what happened in the Gospels, certainly about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the rest of the New Testament is being confirmed today in that God is working through local New Testament churches. Have you ever thought about that before? The fact that God is working through the local New Testament church, it confirms the New Testament. It confirms that what the New Testament says is true. You've got the Holy Spirit working in and through people. You've got people getting saved, believing in Jesus Christ. It confirms the New Testament. God is working. It's, it's the acts of God. All right, so it's very important that, that uh, the acts of God confirm the Scripture. Very important. Number three, did the human author tell the truth of God known from other revelations and facts? Okay, so for example, here's Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. Listen to this. But the prophet, 
which shall presume to speak a word in my name, God speaking, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Isn't that interesting? That God just tells us, hey, so you're, you're wondering, how are we going to know? Okay, easy, easy. Prophet speaks. Prophet says this is going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you know it wasn't from me. I mean, it's, it's pre pretty basic, right? Okay, if, if, if that prophecy doesn't come true, you know, then it wasn't God. All right, so so it's very interesting, um, and 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 for example, for example, just to explain this a little bit more. Thus saith the Lord in Isaiah, cannot contradict. Thus saith the Lord in Genesis. All right, something in Matthew cannot contradict a truth we know about God from Psalms. In other words, uh, we 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 have to talking about scripture, talking about books of the Bible. Um, I suppose when the church was trying to figure it out. They said, okay, well, look at this. Look at what it says. This does not line up with other scriptures. This is heretical, okay? Maybe they looked at something and said, remember the Da Vinci Code? Uh, the Da Vinci Code is, it's a work of fiction. That's what it is, and it's blasphemous because it says that Jesus had sexual relations with Mary Magdalene and had kids. I mean, come on, it's, it's blasphemous. Well, uh, just say that the early church is looking and they say, okay, this says right here that Jesus had sexual relations with Mary Magdalene and had children. That does not line up with Scripture. Okay, it doesn't. It doesn't line up with Scripture. That's nowhere to be seen in the Gospels. Okay, it's just blasphemous too. It's just blasphemous. And, um, and, so, and so they would say that's heresy and that's not Scripture and they throw that out. All right, so in other words, we just have to make sure that... Um, Whatever this says, if it's really scripture, it's going to line up with the other books of the Bible. It's going to line up with the doctrine, the teaching of the Bible. That's very, very important. Number four, did it have the power of God to edify? 2 Timothy 3.17 tells us that one of the purposes of God's word is to edify, and that means to build up. So, does this particular scripture give God glory and help us to become more Christ-like? Does it help us to grow in our Christian walk? It's really that simple. Is this scripture, does it edify us? Does it pull us toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it bring honor and glory to God? You know, I think of a, a book in the Apocrypha, and we're going to be talking about the Apocrypha a little bit later. There's a book in the Apocrypha, <clears throat> the Apocrypha, if I can say it. Uh, it, it it's, the name of this book is Bell and the Dragon. And in Bell and the Dragon, uh, Daniel is mentioned in the book. And there's a story about Daniel, and I, I can't say for sure that this is a true story about Daniel. Uh, but supposedly he did something, and he like tricked some Babylonian officials, and it was real, it was real wily, you know. He tricked them, and, and um, you read it, and, and, and you realize that, oh, okay, Daniel did this, he's really clever. But, you know, Daniel never gives any glory to God. It, it seems like he takes all the glory to himself. And I'm sorry, that doesn't really gel with the Daniel that we see in the book of Daniel, right? Because that Daniel is always very careful to give glory to God, and he, he is a humble man. I, I do not think he would take glory for it. So what, what I'm saying is that it just, it's not edifying. 
right? It doesn't point to God's glory because that story is really, it's all about Daniel, you know, and it kind of, oh, look how clever he is. And so it just, it just doesn't seem like that would be actual scripture, you know, you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. So does it have the power of God to edify? Does it edify? That's so important. And number five, was it accepted and collected by the people of God? Now, here's what Norman Geisler says, and I quote, The collection of books known as the canon of Scripture was made gradually as the books were written. When Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, that's the Pentateuch, they were taken immediately and put in the most holy place. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 31, verses 24 through 26. And it came to pass, when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Okay, so they were collecting it. They were keeping it. They were recognizing this is Scripture. And you know, Moses, uh, God told Moses, he, he gave Moses revelation. He told him what to write. Hey, Moses, Moses. I'm going to give you some scripture here. All right, and God spoke to Moses. Moses wrote it down. Uh, and it's interesting, the book of Genesis, you know, the book of Genesis is all history. And how on earth did Moses know about all of that? Well, you have oral tradition, oral tradition. It was passed down orally over the, over the uh, centuries. But you know what? It wasn't just oral tradition. It was God because God was there. He was there in the book of Genesis. He was there from the beginning. He was there from before the beginning. And so God spoke to Moses and said, here, Moses, I'm going to tell you, you know, and I'm sure there's things in the book of Genesis that probably was not passed down orally. The people just didn't know. They just didn't know. Uh, but God did, of course. And so, um, so anyways, they, they knew it was scripture. What Moses wrote down, it was the law of God. And so they collected it. Now, uh, Geisler goes on, he says this, and I quote, The book of Joshua, his successor, was added to the collection upon his death. Joshua twenty four twenty six. Likewise, the books of Samuel, look at 1 Samuel ten twenty five, and the prophets were added after they wrote them, Zechariah seven twelve. Daniel had a collection of Moses' books and the prophetic writings up to Daniel's time, including the book of his contemporary, Jeremiah, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Now, it's very interesting because Daniel actually reads Jeremiah's prophecy and and in the book of jeremiah it says that the captivity is only going to be it's going to be 70 years long and when daniel reads that he says oh my goodness 70 years why we're coming to the end of that time and daniel got so excited he said we're coming to the end of the captivity because remember daniel was in babylon he was taken as a young man he was taken as one of the captives to babylon and daniel lived his whole life in babylon you know uh daniel never went back he didn't get to go back. He 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 probably died there in Babylon. But he got so excited. He said, "I, I look look at what Jeremiah says." And he recognized Jeremiah was a prophet of God. That 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 what Jeremiah had wrote was scripture. And he said, "According to Jeremiah, the captivity is about to come to a close." And he was so excited. And uh, you know, God spoke to Daniel, and and God spoke to Daniel all kinds of incredible prophecies. But um, just very interesting. The 39 books of the Old Testament was agreed upon as scripture by God's people, the Jews. So the Jews said these 39 books are scripture. All right? 
Well, for the New Testament, the church came to an agreement concerning the 27 books at the Council of Carthage, which was A.D. 397. So we can say that is the official date for when the canon was completed, when it was finalized, and when the church agreed, yes, this, this canon, these 27 books, this is the New Testament. These are inspired scripture. And so, once again, it was the church that came to an agreement. It's the people of God who came to an agreement that, um, yes, this is scripture. For the Old Testament, the Jews. For the New Testament, it was the church. Now, I want to just quickly mention here problem books. Problem books. And when I say problem books, I mean books of the Bible. There's just a few books of the Bible that the church was hesitant about because, for whatever reason, they, they had they had their reasons, and they they weren't sure if they should be in the canon. But of course, these are in the canon. They 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 said, well, it's a little bit, mm, but okay. I th-. and let me mention these real quick. So we have the Book of Esther. The Book of Esther. If you didn't realize, God is not mentioned at all in the Book of Esther. You can read the entire book. It's quite a, it's several chapters. And God is not mentioned one time. And so the church said, should this really be scripture when God's not even mentioned? Uh, but you can see the providence of God all throughout the book of Esther. You can see God's hand at work behind the scenes, working. Because you have this incredible story of Esther who, who just happened to become queen. That was the providence of God. And she, she, she had to stand in the gap for her people. She had to say... Hey, she had to stand up for her people. They, they, the Jews would have been slaughtered if it were not for Esther standing up for them and pointing at the wicked Haman and saying, this, this man wants to kill my people. And I just love how Haman makes these gallows to hang Mordecai on, and then he ends up getting hung on his own gallows. That is irony, focus. That, that, that is ironic justice. That's what that is, and I just love it. And so... The book of Esther, at first they're like, oh, I don't know, but then they said, you know what, this is, and, and is, isn't it an important story, it, it, especially for the Jews? This is very important, and they have the, the Feast of Purim now, which they celebrate every year, by the way, and they celebrate the fact that they, they weren't all killed. They celebrate the fact that there was a, a young lady who stood up for them, and, and God used her to save them. You know, so that they could continue. So the story of Esther is very important, and it was accepted as scripture. Next, we have the Song of Solomon. Now, the Song of Solomon, what a book. What a book. And the reason why it was like, ooh, should we have this in the Bible, is because it seemed erotic. Erotic. And let's be let's be honest. I mean, you've, you've got this book that's clearly about marriage and romance, and you've got Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who, who was a poet. Oh, my goodness. And, and you've got him writing scripture, inspired scripture of God, and he's describing just about every part of the female anatomy. I mean, you know, and uh, it's not a book you want your kids to read, right? It's like, uh, hey, little Jimmy, oh, let's not read Song of Solomon. And uh, and if you do, you just want to read certain sections, right? So that that was in question for a time because it's like, ah, uh, this, this, this book seems, it seems erotic. Why, we shouldn't have this in scripture, but they they came to the agreement you know what we're going to work this is the scripture and and of course we know that the song of solomon is a beautiful type of christ and the church absolutely because christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride and uh, the bride should be pure and beautiful and um you have that that relationship there it's beautiful anyway so that's 
Now, <clears throat> next one is um, another book that was in question was the book of Ezekiel. Have you read the book of Ezekiel? It's got to be the weirdest book in the Bible. And, and I'm serious. I think it's more weird than Revelation, you know? And, and I, I'm telling you, Ezekiel's hard. And I think the reason why it was in question, one, was because it's so weird. It's so weird. But two, because there's so many things in the book that it's just hard to understand. It's just hard to understand. And, you know, the beginning of the book, you've got you've got him shaving his hair and making piles of hair and then laying on his side for like 90 days and then eating bread that has cow dung in it. I mean, what is going on? It, it is such a weird book. And then you got the wheel in the wheel flying around. and and uh, But you also have very important things in the book of Ezekiel, such as he sees a vision of the temple. He sees the temple. Hey, this isn't Solomon's temple he's seeing. This is the temple that's going to be in heaven. This is going to be the glorious temple that is in heaven. That's what Ezekiel's saying. So even though there's some weird things in the book of Ezekiel, eventually... They decided, yes, this is scripture. It's hard to understand. It's very weird, but this is scripture. Okay, and the last one I want to mention is the book of James. Now, specifically, Martin Luther didn't accept the book of James as scripture because of the, uh, you know, work salvation. He read James chapter 2, and he said, ah, I don't like this. It looks like work salvation. And if you remember, Martin Luther was completely, that was his whole thing was salvation by grace because the Roman Catholic Church was teaching work salvation and he was going directly against the church and saying, no, you're saved by grace. And so that was that was, that was was what he came to realize reading the book of Romans. And then the book of James seems to teach work salvation. And so Martin Luther said, I don't like the book of James. It's not scripture. It's not, he, he basically threw out the whole book because of that. And, and, um, now you have to understand that the book of James, he is not advocating work salvation. He's talking about uh, faith that that is backed up with good works. So it's not about faith and works. It's about faith that works. That's really what he's talking about. But uh, Martin Luther didn't like that. And uh, because of that, uh, I think the um, – I'm not sure about the early church. I, I – I'm not okay. What I'm trying to say here is I'm not sure if the early church, when they're figuring out the canon, I'm not sure if they struggle with the Book of James. I'm not sure. I just mentioned that because Martin Luther didn't like it, and he said it wasn't scripture. And we know that it is. It is scripture, of course it is. But that was a book that was in question, and um, you, you just have to understand what James is talking about. That's all it is. All right. So those are a few problem books, and you know, despite all these hesitations, these books were eventually accepted as part of the canon of scripture. Praise the Lord. Uh, and, and I think we would all admit that not everything in the Bible is, is you know, as, as clear as we would like it to be. There are things in the Bible that are hard to understand, right? Um, so, anyways, let's move on. I want to talk about other sacred books. Other sacred books. And basically, we're just going to go through, through a few sacred books. And I want to talk about them and talk about why they're not a part of the canon. Now, the first one we're going to talk about is the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. Now, the word Apocrypha means hidden or doubtful. All right, these books were supposedly written during the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. These books are not considered scripture for the following reasons. See, here's a few reasons. First of all, they do not have either an explicit or implicit claim to be inspired by God. In fact, some even disclaim being prophetic. 
Listen to this. First Maccabees 9.27 says, So was there a great affliction in Israel, the like whereof was not since the time that a prophet was not seen among them. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, mentioned that, you know, there was a prophet. There was a prophet of God among them. First Maccabees 14.41 also says this, Also that the Jews and priests were well pleased that Simon should be their governor and high priest forever until there should arise a faithful prophet. So in other words, Simon Maccabees wasn't a prophet. They didn't accept him as a prophet. And apparently they didn't have a prophet during this time. Remember, this is in the intertestamental period. And, uh, and in fact, that's my next point here. They were written... Uh, between 250 BC and the first century AD. And this period is the silent years. In other words, there's there's no revelation from God during this time. There's absolutely, God is not speaking to anybody. God is not giving new revelation to anybody until, remember who it was? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And what technically had, uh, you had uh, Mary and Joseph and um Zacharias and Elizabeth. God spoke to them. But really, no new revelation until John the Baptist, who, who by the way, was the last of the Old Testament prophets, technically the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though we read about him in the New Testament. Anyways, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail there. Next, the Jewish historian Josephus acknowledged the 39 books of the Old Testament, but not the Apocrypha. Jews also rejected the Apocrypha as Holy Scripture. Okay, so the Apocrypha is not accepted as Scripture by the Jews. All right, And then also, neither Jesus nor the apostles ever cited the Apocrypha. I wonder why. Hmm. Hmm. So Jesus and the apostles, they never, not, not one time, not one time did they, did they cite the Apocrypha. And then, last thing here, most of the church fathers, such as Origen, Jerome, and Athanasius, did not accept the Apocrypha as inspired scripture. All right, so early church fathers, most of them did not accept the Apocrypha. So uh, let me mention this. In 1546, the Roman Catholic Church accepted the Apocrypha as Scripture. In fact, Catholics today hold to these books as inspired Scripture. However, here are a few problems. One, they were the wrong group to make this decision, not the Jews. It was the Catholics, not the Jews. Number two. It took place at the wrong time, the 16th century. Whoa, that's that's uh, <clears throat> that's really late, guys. That's really late. Number three, it was done for the wrong reason. You know what the reason was? It was to support the doctrine of prayers for the dead. Second Maccabees 12.45. Um, and that was really in, in response to the Reformation. Remember, 1546. This is in response to the Reformation. And they're like, oh, yeah, we accept the Apocrypha now. Uh, we, that's, it's, it's inspired scripture now. And, and really, they just wanted to use it to support what they taught, which, by the way, is unbiblical. And really, that's another, that's another, um, that's another miss. It's another miss. I'm sorry, I'm trying to find the right word. It's another miss for the, for the um, Apocrypha because Second Maccabees 12.45, that verse contradicts scripture. Prayers for the dead. So, there's another miss for the Apocrypha. All right, so that's enough about the Apocrypha. That's why it's not in the canon of Scripture. That's why we don't hold to it as, as inspired Scripture. It's not. It's not, okay? And, you know, I, I I could do a whole episode in the Apocrypha and talk about each of the books and what they talk about. And and if, if you know, go ahead and take the time if you want to read some of the Apocrypha. But what, when you read it, you're going to say, yeah, this really doesn't sound like Scripture, you know? 
There's just some things in there. It's just, mm. Now, let's talk about next other Gospels, and we're going to talk about the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas. Now, this is very interesting. Um, the, first, the Gospel of Thomas. Here is what the Gospel of Thomas says right at the beginning. It says, These are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke and which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. Now, are there any red flags going up right now in your mind? Yes, uh, red flag, red flag. It says the secret sayings. I'm sorry, what? Why is it secret? This is supposed to be scripture, right? And scripture is supposed to be for everybody, right? You know, you know the Bible's for everybody. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for Christians. It's for everybody. God gave his word to the whole world. Here, the Gospel of Thomas, it says, The secret sayings. Oh, yes. These were secret. Nobody knew about it. Well, why? Okay. Now, scholars agree that it was written during the second century, which, by the way, is after Thomas was dead. Uh, so there's a problem, because that means it wasn't written by Thomas, which means it wasn't written by an apostle. That's a big problem. Also, it has Gnostic leanings and also teaches heresy in that women must become male to enter heaven. Yes, that's right. You heard that right. The Gospel of Thomas, in the Gospel of Thomas, the Lord Jesus says, oh, she's a woman. And she must become male to enter heaven. Now that's that's just that's just heresy, folks. That that's just wicked. That's just wrong. Uh, w women, I I know it's kind of funny because right now we have transgenderism going on. No, women don't have to become men or male to enter heaven. So only men are going to be in heaven. Come on, it's ridiculous. Um. So. It was rejected, suffice to say, it was rejected by the church's inspired scripture. Shocker, I know. But the church looked at the Gospel of Thomas and was like, uh, no, this is not scripture. This is heresy. So it was rejected. And, um, and it's easy to see why. It's obvious. And so if anybody says to you, well, to, if anybody comes up to you today and says, hey, what about the Gospel of Thomas? How come that's not in the Bible? You can tell them, oh, it's heresy. And it wasn't written by Thomas. Okay. Next, we have the Gospel of Judas. Now, this was written during the 2nd century. All right? And, again, 2nd century, after Judas is dead. And keep in mind, this is Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Yeah, Judas Iscariot, who wasn't even saved. And he wrote inspired scripture? I don't think so. And it has a strong, um, same thing as Thomas, it has a strong Gnostic influence, all right? You have to remember Gnosticism had to do with the, the secret knowledge, and, uh, you know, there's a secret knowledge that, that only we know. And so he had to become a Gnostic in order to have, to have the secret knowledge that only God tells us, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's just, anyways. So the Gospel of Judas specifically describes a secret conversation between Jesus and Judas. During this conversation, Jesus tells Judas that he would exceed the other 11 apostles by betraying him. He was also told that by betraying Jesus, he would be doing God's work. In committing this deed, Judas would release the spirit of Jesus from his physical body. Okay, this is just heresy because here you have Jesus and Judas conspiring together. G Jesus saying, okay, Judas, you're going to betray me. You're going to betray me, and by betraying me, you're going to do God's work. Now, in the actual Bible, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew who was going to betray him, but he said it had been better for that man if he had not been born. Wow. So that's what Jesus actually said. Whereas the Gospel of Judas, Jesus said, hey, Judas, 
Judas, you're going to exceed the other apostles. You're going to be the greatest of the apostles if you would betray me. And you're going to be doing God's work if you betray me. That is such heresy. That's such heresy. It's just it's just wicked. It's, it, it's, it's ridiculous. But again, this is not scripture. Somebody made it up. It wasn't written by Judas. It, it, it wasn't even written at the right time. It was written during the second century. And uh, of course, early church leader... Um, Irenaeus labeled this gospel as heretical in AD 180. So Irenaeus read it and he said, this is, this is heresy. All right. So it, that, that's why we don't have that in scripture today. And so again, if somebody comes up to you and is like, what about the gospel of Judas? You can tell them that's heresy. And it wasn't written by Judas. All right. So uh, uh, quickly here, I'm running out of time. I want to talk about real quick, the book of Mormon, the book of Mormon. It's very interesting. Mormons actually say that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. Now, there should be a red flag going up in your mind again. Another testament of Jesus Christ. Do, do, we, do we need another testament of Jesus Christ? Are the four Gospels not enough? Is the New Testament, 27 books, not enough? We, we need another one? Well, <clears throat> there are several problems with this book. Let me quickly tell you this. All right, the text is supposedly from the pro from prophets on the American continent from 600 BC to AD 421. Right there is a big problem because it is not from the Jews or the church. Not from the Jews or the church, it is from the Americas. Okay, a group of people called the Nephites. Next, the history in the Book of Mormon cannot be verified. And it has never been proven true through archaeology. Okay, so you have this group. It's not American Indians. Native Americans, whatever. It's the Nephites. Well, we don't know if the Nephites actually existed because there's no trace of their their uh, these these people. We we don't we history doesn't back this up, and and also the archaeology has not proven it true either. Okay, and I'm just gonna go on record here and say it was made up. It was made up. It it, it looks like it was just made up. Okay, next, the Book of Mormon contradicts the Bible all over the place. And Mormons say that they believe the Bible too. All right, so if you talk to a Mormon, they'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we believe the Bible. The Bible's the word of God. But we also believe the Book of Mormon. Well, there's a huge problem because they contradict each other all over the place. For example, um, Book of Mormon says that Jesus physically appeared to the Nephites, you know, the people in the Americas. He, he physically came down from heaven and appeared to them and apparently preached to them. But why would Jesus do that? Remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. His work was finished. And he ascended up to heaven where he's sitting, sitting down on the right hand of the throne of God. I hate to break it to you, but Jesus isn't coming back. He, why, why would he go to the Americas? He told the apostles to take the gospel to the whole world, the uttermost part of the earth. So Jesus didn't need to go there. It's the apostles and the early church that needed to go there and, and share the gospel with those people. Not, why would Jesus physically appear? Anyways, so it doesn't make any sense. Okay, J Jesus uh, Jesus would not, he would not do that. His work is done on earth. He, he's not coming back to earth, folks, until the millennial kingdom. All right, he's not. So um, now <clears throat> to top it all, and, and again, and I, I, I think I'm. I think I'm probably going to do a full episode of Mormonism because it would be great to just talk about all kinds of. There's a lot of things with Mormons. Um, now to top it all off, Joseph Smith, who was the founder of Mormonism, says that he was visited by the angel Moroni and he was told that all the churches were apostate. 
Now this contradicts Matthew 16, 18, in which Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, that verse promises, Jesus promises, the perpetuity of the church. All right? Uh, it's not what Baroni said. He said all the churches are apostate. But I want you also to listen to what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Well, that's interesting because you have the angel Moroni coming from heaven giving another gospel to Joseph Smith. I guess he's accursed. Yes, absolutely he is accursed. And um, that's, all, that's all Mormonism is. It is another gospel. It is not the gospel found in the Bible. It is another gospel, and so that is why we reject the Book of Mormon. And, 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 and that is why it's, you can't have the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Now, that's what Mormons do. They believe the Bible and the Book of Mormon. You can't do that because they contradict. They contradict. The Book of Mormon is just a book of heresy. That's what it is. So, hopefully in the near future I can do a full episode of Mormonism because I think that would be really interesting. Let me wrap up, though. The canon of Scripture is closed. All right, There should be no doubt that Revelation is the last book of the canon because, one, it deals with the end of the world, okay? And two, it was written by the very last of the apostles. So anything written after Revelation, which was AD 90, is not Scripture. All right, period. It is not Scripture. We can be confident, then, that the 66 books of the Bible we have today are the inspired words of God, and they're for us today. Let me finish with this quote by Norman Geisler. He says, and I quote, Only these books were inspired of God, written by prophets of God, collected by the people of God, and preserved by the providence of God for the spiritual edification of the people of God. That's it. Yeah, he, he said it very well. These 66 books were preserved by God for us today. It's for the people of God. But again, really, the Bible, I said it before, the Bible's for the whole world. It's for everyone. Because God wants everyone to read his word, believe his word, and be saved. And then to share the gospel. Well, that's it, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk. And let me quickly mention, um, I have revealed my next book. All right. It is entitled Unlikely Heroes. It's about the judges. I'm so excited about it. And uh, head on over. You can find out more about that book at paulrobinsonbooks.com. So head over there. Check it out. And I'm very excited to announce that that book will be releasing on May 19th. May 19th. So please look forward to that and please get a copy. It's going to be really good. It was, it was really fun to, to write. And I'm very excited to put it out there. And I know it'll be a great blessing for you. And once again, yeah, check out my website, check out other episodes, um, uh, check out the preaching podcast, a lot of uh, uh, recent sermons that I, I, I think would be a real blessing to you. But thank you so much for listening. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you.